Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 13, take one. Well, I'm back. This is uh, Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, and this is episode number 13. Wow, what a busy week it was last week, and even leading up to that. And, you know, before I start, I want to apologize because uh, I dropped episode 12 from the road. It was kind of a short update as to what was going on, and I promised to um, keep doing them from the road. But I have to tell you, uh, I had to stop doing it because of security concerns, not on my end, but from the boss. She said she she was worried that people would know that we're out of town and somebody would come and rob our house. So that being said, uh, I had to stop uh, broadcasting from the road or recording from the road. But here we are. We're back. It's episode 13. And uh, I'll bring you up to speed. Last Sunday, Ann and I left for an out west adventure. And uh, pretty much this week's episode, I'm going to give you a review of everything we did during the week, um, going out to the Badlands and then coming back. It was quite quite the adventure, uh, a lot of stories to tell. Uh, I'll try and post a lot of pictures. Uh, I think you guys will really like it. So sit back, uh, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. All right, let's get started. So like I said in previous episodes, our Yellowstone vacation was canceled, so I changed plans and uh, turned my attention to the Badlands of North Dakota. Yep, I said Badlands. It is It is pretty bad. We left uh, last week on Sunday morning. I loaded up the uh, trusty Tacoma and started driving west. Um, my reason for going to the Badlands was to visit the Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And after reading a few books about Roosevelt the man, I was interested in seeing what inspired him to... Uh, uh, fight for our public lands, you know, for our parks and things like that. He was one of the people responsible for keeping um, our natural wonders protected from development. Places like Yellowstone and Yosemite and things like, and other national parks. And I wanted to see um, those wide open spaces, the starry nights, the wild buffalo, and all those things that inspired uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And I did. It was really cool. So to get from here in Metro Detroit out to uh, North Dakota, and the town is called Medora. If you looked at a, uh, a map, uh, this would be the far, far western edge of North Dakota where it touches uh, Montana. So what you do for Metro Detroit is you get on I-94 and go west, and you keep going. And I didn't know this, but I-94 runs from here all the way to the entrance of Theodore Roosevelt National Park in Medora, North Dakota. It was pretty cool. Google Maps said it was 1,224 miles from here to there. Um, they're saying it was 18 hours and three minutes. I can tell you it was a little bit longer than that. Um, I th thought it was closer to 20 hours, but we ran into traffic and things like that. So um, we could have drove north on I-75 and you can go through Michigan, cross uh, the Upper Peninsula, cross over in Duluth and all that, but that would have added on um, a couple extra hours. And besides, that's the route we took coming home. So I'll save that for a little bit later. But anyway, we drove from Northville, past Ann Arbor, past Jackson, Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, right on out of Michigan into Indiana, then uh, on to Chicago. And let me tell you, Chicago, last Sunday, we didn't know this because we were driving all morning, there was a huge protest going on downtown. And we had no idea what was going on and we were trying to drive through it. It was bumper to bumper shit show through downtown Chicago. And there were people driving through traffic. Uh, it, we're all stopped. And there were cars trying, they were doing 100 miles an hour around on the uh, 
on the uh, edges of the road. And I think they, they were looting or something, and they wanted to join in is the only thing I can think of. And we watched half a dozen cars probably zip by us doing that. And also the police had every single exit going to downtown blocked. So there was a police car, lights flashing, uh, wouldn't let you on any other exit, any of the ramps into downtown Chicago. So we were stuck there for a while. It seemed like forever, but we eventually made our way toward Wisconsin. And I didn't know, I, of course I knew this, but the toll roads in, in Illinois, well, I forgot all about them. And to make it worse, all the toll booths were closed. And, you know, when you pull up to the booth, you're supposed to pay your tolls or whatever, but there was no person there. So that assigns says you're supposed to go online and pay this. No shit. So <laughs> you, you, you drive through the booth and it takes a picture of your vehicle and your license plate. And then you have to go online and find it and you owe them the toll. What it was such a fucking hassle, I'll tell you. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but Anne is just along for the ride. She doesn't navigate. She doesn't be the assistant or anything, but she's the keeper of the, of the funds. That's that's pretty important, I suppose. But anyway, so here I am trying to figure out all these things and drive at the same time. So anyway, now back, back to the driving. So we crossed uh, the border into Wisconsin, and you keep going, and uh, we reached a town called Eau Claire, and it's spelled E-A-U, Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, but it's pronounced Eau Claire. That was our halfway point, you know, according to Google Maps. And it was a nice, clean town, not much traffic. And after being on the road for about 10 hours, uh, we were ready to get out of the truck. And I'm telling you, it was, I slept like a baby. We just checked in. Uh, what did we do? We grabbed a carryout dinner and uh, went right to bed. It, it was a long day. So we got on the road the next morning about 9 a.m., did the same thing again, I-94 westbound. You cross through Minnesota, and eventually you cross the border into North Dakota. And by now, by, by the time we got there, it was after lunch in the afternoon, and we stopped for a late lunch, and Ann and I were both, as soon as you opened the door, 97 fucking degrees. I could not believe it. 97. <laughs> this was in the town of uh, Fargo. Fargo is right at the border of Minnesota. And uh, it was just like being hit by, by a hot air blow dryer. And uh, I always thought Fargo was a small town, but it's like a real... I mean, a big city with all the stores and everything like that. So we had some uh, drive-through tacos and kept right on going. And a few minutes outside of town, all the scenery changed. It went from all this, uh, like what you'd see driving, you know, down 94, like we would see trees and, and greenery and all that. It went to these flat farm fields. And I mean flat. There was nothing you could see but flat farm fields from horizon to horizon and by now there was not any clouds in the sky it was like a blue sky completely sunny really warm and as far as you could see was flat 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 farm fields so that was the drive for the rest of the day and I'll, I'll try and post some pictures I know we had some but then um, the other thing there is the sign says 75 but you could easily do 85 there were people doing 95 to try and get through this really boy and it reminded me of like um, when you're up north in the Upper Peninsula and you drive along the Sini stretch and it's a part of M28 that is really straight, really unremarkable and you almost fall asleep with nothing to look at but trees. This was very similar, but take away the trees and it was all open fields of grass. So we're driving and driving, it seems like forever of just a whole lot of nothing. And then a few miles outside of the town of Medora, just before we get there, the landscape change and that's when it turns into the Badlands. And if you Google Badlands, and you'll see the pictures there, that's exactly what it looked like. There are these valleys with mountains, but they call the mountains buttes. 
And if, to describe it, it's a hill, a steep hill with exposed layers of dirt, and the layers have different colors to them. Some are brown or burgundy or light color like stand or whatever. And the vegetation is more like um, bushes. Those are sage. And um, I like sage. It smells fresh to me. Some people don't. But we rolled into the town of Medora, and it was around dinner time. And um, before we had left Michigan, I'd scouted online for a few campgrounds. I wanted to stay at uh, outside, as a matter of fact. So uh, I knew the campground we were going to and uh, had a general idea what we were kind of in for. And we found it was a state park called Sully Creek Campground. And it was right on the Low Missouri River, which was pretty cool. And it was nestled kind of like in these hills and buttes and valleys. A really nice place. Um, the neat thing was this campground catered to people with horses. And we had a, we our campsite was was uh, away from the horses, but most of the campground had uh, uh, a space for horses, like corrals and all that. So you'd pull in with your pickup truck and your horse trailer, and there's an area to unload and corral your horse, and then you park your your truck and all that and you camp and then there's like all these public riding trails so you can just hop on your horse and start riding um, it, was, it was pretty neat we grabbed a, a tent site that was away from the crowds and all that and I call it a campsite <laughs> um, but it was really like a spot in an open meadow like no trees no shade no not and it, nothing around <laughs> and it reminded me of camping in the outfield of a baseball park you know but with taller grass so we we set up our tent unloaded our supplies settled in for the night and it was another long day of driving. Ann and I ran back into town, grabbed some firewood and things like that. And it's really, it's a quiet, quiet little town, small town. Had full of, it was full of these little stores, of course, like touristy things and all that. And had a cowboy museum. But for the most part, almost all of it was closed because of the coronavirus stuff. So anyway, went back to the campground, sat around, had a campfire, pretty much recalled the last two days, you know, talking about it and reviewing it and all that. And I'll tell you what, we're sitting in the Badlands around a campfire, had cold beer, stars are up above, not a cloud in the sky, my gal by my side. And I'm, if that's not cool, I don't know what is. I, th- I thought it was pretty sweet. So the sky stayed bright until about 11 o'clock at night. We crawled in the tent, dozed off, and woke uh, to like this sunlight was shining through the tent. And I'm like, oh, I get up, I'm like, holy shit, look at her watch. It was 4.30 in the morning and the sun was shining. No shit. 4.30 in the morning, sun is shining in my tent. I kind of pretty much rolled over and covered my eyes and stayed in bed till about 7.30. So uh, we got up finally about 7.30, our typical, um, like a backpacking, camping kind of breakfast. It's really just boil water. So you have oatmeal and instant coffee. I know it sounds good, but <laughs> it's what we had. And it was cool. It was fine with me. It was um, cloudy and overcast, cool temperatures in the 60s. So we packed up, started our day. And the, it was nice. Our campground was really probably not even five minutes, maybe five minutes from the park entrance. Really convenient. So we drove up to the gate and what a surprise, like no one was there. So when you normally pull into a national park, there's a park ranger and they you pay to get in and they give you a map, have a nice day, any questions. So really we just drove right in and there was a sign saying your park entrance fee was self-serve. So there is a little table off to the side with the envelope and a box and you put it in there. And um, it was all like on the faith system, right? But we already have a national park pass. So we just grabbed a map and headed in. And as we drove into the park, um, our first stop was called Prairie Dog Town. And what a cool thing it was. It was a whole prairie full of these little prairie dog mounds. 
and they'd keep popping their heads up and barking at us. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And it was just like that stupid game at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, where the thing, the, the prairie dog pops his head up and you hit him with a hammer. It was just like that, exactly like that. Um, it, it was pretty cool. It was really, really cool. We liked it. So here we are. We were in this little prairie dog town pull off and uh, we stayed there for a while and uh, just looked at them and really liked it. It was, it was really neat to see um, hundreds of these mounds and these little prairie dogs keep popping their heads up, right? And they pick their heads up to look at you and then pop back down the hole. So we stayed there for a while and kept an eye on it. It was really, it was pretty neat to see. And I'll try and, let me see, I recorded some audio and you can hear them barking and like, uh, here they go. It's almost like a chirping, like a whistling, and a little bit of wind. Sorry about the wind. There you go. <laughs> so they they warn their other little prairie dog buddies that you're there, and this goes on if, as long as you stand there. This goes on like never ending. But I'll play some more for you in a little bit, but there we go. So after that, we uh, got out our map and uh, picked a trail. It wasn't too far away. Our plan, at every national park we go to, our plan is to get off the beaten path to go at least one mile from the road. And um, this strategy, every park we've been to, it works really, really well. So we turned down this dusty tree track. It dead-ended into a uh, small parking area. And there was one car there already, not bad at all, because the park was its mostly empty. There was nobody. I, I was really surprised how empty it was. So we got out, started hiking. And I'll try and describe the scenery. Uh, we were kind of in a valley with a dried up creek bed running through it. And the vegetation was sparse. It was more like scattered bushes, these sage bushes. And um, it was a dusty spot, had like a well-worn path leading, you know, in the bottom of this valley. So we started our trek. And after about 20 minutes, we decided, you know what, let's go back. Because we're going to be gone for all. Let's grab our lunch and we'll eat lunch out on the trail. So we made a turn around, like a U-turn. As soon as we turn around, lo and behold, we spotted these large, dark object. It was just past the truck that we had just walked away from. It was a buffalo, no shit. Buffalo came out of the bushes, walked right past the truck into the meadow, and it's out there grazing. And so as we're looking, we're like, oh, wait, there's more. There ended up being three of them, and they are huge. These buffalo are, are really big. So we kind of stepped up our pace, made it back to the truck, um, threw on our backpacks, loaded up. We had another mountain house meal and portable stove and stuff. Took some pictures with the, the buffalo kind of in the distance and then got back on the trail. So we start following through the valley and it curves and weaves back and forth. Um, takes you around some deep ravines. And after, I guess, maybe 30 minutes or so, we walked right into another prairie dog town. Uh, prairie dog town. And we picked it as a lunch spot. And it was pretty cool. So we s sit right in the middle of these prairie dogs and um, started having our lunch, and it was the coolest thing. It really was. And the, the, the sucky thing was, <laughs> I'll play some more audio for you. So after about five, ten minutes, they kind of calmed down and realized that we weren't leaving. Let's see if you can hear that. So we sat down. I get ready to make our lunch and uh, unpack all our stuff. We have these little folding chairs. We bring out our chairs and for the you know first five minutes or so all they did was bark and chatter at us and was really loving it i liked it too it was really neat and by now like the sky had cleared up it was in the 70s blue skies it was really really nice all 
all in all, it was really cool. And not another person as far as you can see. And so as I'm getting ready to make our uh, lunch, the damn fuel runs out. It's like a little propane canister that heats on it, goes under a little stove. And uh, sure as shit, <laughs> the fuel ran out. So we ended up settling for a couple of hunter sausage sticks and some other snacks. But it was still, it was really, really cool. We liked it. So after that, we packed up and we headed back to the truck. And uh, whoops, sorry about that text message. Um, so we uh, go back, uh, get in the truck, and uh, took some more buffalo pictures. And we picked our next trail. It was called Boycourt Trail. And this was a short trail. It was only about a third of a mile. But let me tell you, this was the coolest third of a mile I'd ever been on. The trail was on the top edge of a butte. And it was like hiking along the edge of a knife. Think of that. This peak, at the top of the peak, was the trail. And you would just follow this trail. So it's like walking on a knife edge, but it's about four feet wide. And the footpath is kind of in the middle. So we follow the footpath all the way to the edge, and the view was just spectacular. I couldn't believe it. Words can't even describe it. So you follow this knife edge all the way out to a point, and we just sat there. And you could see like a rolling valley down below you, and it stretched from horizon to horizon. And the sky was this deep blue sky, no clouds, no nothing. And at the end of, at one end of the valley, far off to the left, was a group of these uh, wild horses. There were six of them. And then down to our right, like closer in the valley, was one buffalo all by itself. And they're so huge, you think they'd be easy to spot, but really they look like a, like a dark mound or a boulder or something. So I have binoculars. I always carry them with me. And I start scanning around, scanning around. And then off to the right of the buffalo, I spotted nine more of these wild horses. And they were hanging out at this bright white area of dirt. And I'm pretty sure it was a natural, like a mineral lick or something. And I thought, how cool is that? So we're up there looking around and you can just see forever, forever and forever. It was really, really neat. So we were soaking it in, taking pictures. And for me, that made the whole drive worth it. Just being able to see here you are in the big country, blue sky, wild horses, buffalo, um, natural, you know, untouched. It was really, really cool. So we stayed up there for a while and then eventually um, we jumped in the truck and headed back to the campground. And my plan was to stop in town, buy another little fuel tank, but they didn't have one. So we had to go back to the next closest town. It was about half hour away, 30 minutes. And we found what we needed at Walmart, had some Applebee's and came back to our town, Medora, for the night and said, hey, before we go back, let's just go through town. Maybe we can uh, walk the shops or something. And so we walked up and down a couple of streets, but the stores were all closed, of course, because of the COVID uh, pandemic thing. And it's like an old-fashioned Western town, sidewalks and storefronts. And while we're moseying around, I ran into Teddy Roosevelt himself. It was, I thought, what a surprise. Here's this guy. He was like a historic reenactor. And I'm telling you, I'll put a picture on my uh, Instagram, a spitting image of Teddy Roosevelt. And had all the mannerisms and the, and the, everything it was for me it was really really cool because that's kind of why i wanted to go there it was all based on teddy roosevelt right and i was just kind of blown away and he starts talking to us and asked where we're from and all this cool conversation said he was performing tonight 7 30 at the local theater so i told Anne, it's but well, we got to go um his performance is an hour long and it was really a history lesson more or less he gave like a short biography and the guy did it all himself, stood up on stage, told the history about himself and everything. And he was so animated and so energetic, I was completely mesmerized the whole time. And then when it was over, he opened up 
the floor kind of for questions. He goes, you can ask anything. Does anyone have a question at all? So, of course, I have to ask something. And the one I asked was about there's a Bigfoot story that he put in one of his books. And the guy retold the story, and it was so, so cool. They call it a bear on two legs. And it was, I said, tell me the story about the bear, the two-legged bear. So it was really cool and pretty much made my day, made the whole trip as far as I was concerned. So once again, we go back to the campground and have a fire and kind of recall the whole day. And I, to me, it was like a great day. So we woke up the next day um, early again. No shit, 4.30, right? <laughs> but anyway, I roll over at 6.30. I stayed into bed. And... Uh, once we got out of the tent, we spotted some rain clouds heading our way. So we kind of hustled. We had our breakfast, our oatmeal, packed up our sleeping bags, packed up our tent. And by 8 o'clock, we were out of there. And the plan was to go to another part of the park. This, uh, the park actually has uh, two parts to it. One is called the south unit and one is called the north unit. And they are separated by 52 miles. So we're, staying, we're at the south unit. And even in the south unit, there's two park entrances. So we were going to go to the other entrance, which was 15 miles down the road. And the neat thing was that entrance is also a uh, uh, rest stop on I-94. <laughs> it's called Painted Canyon Visitor Center slash rest stop. And so we pull in. And as soon as we pull in, no shit, here's a buffalo right there sitting in the grass right as you get off the freeway and go into the, the parking lot. So it was pretty cool. We had to get a couple of pictures of that. And even like these truck drivers, they pull their big rig in and here's a freaking buffalo right in the rest stop. So these guys were all taking pictures too. So um, we found out the visitor center was closed, bathrooms were closed, of course, um, but it did overlook Painted Canyon, which was a really cool view. And then you turn around behind you and you can just see the clouds chasing us. And so I'm gonna post a cool picture of my truck with the clouds in the background. And I told Ann I'm going to title my picture. It's going to be called Riding the Storm Out, like the REO Speedwagon song. So I'm going to do it. You'll see that on Instagram. It'll be called Riding the Storm Out. You can see the clouds in the background. I thought it was cool. She just kind of blew it off. But anyway, so we decided let's sit here, let the rain go by us, and we'll try and get in our hike. We wanted to hike down the bottom of this uh, canyon here. Um, but more, the first one came through, lasted about 10 minutes, and we could see more of them coming. So we kind of got had to scratch that idea and uh, decided to go to the north unit. And like I was saying, it's 52 miles away, right? So we jumped back in the Tacoma, put the pedal to metal, head down this two-lane road, two-lane highway. And uh, as we're driving, you know, we got time to kill. It's probably, it was almost an hour ride. And we kept seeing signs for, uh, it was called the Little Missouri National Grasslands. And it's part of the, our national park system. So after seeing them over and over and over, I eventually pulled over, found a cool little campground with six sites and an outhouse called Summit Trail Campground. And of course, it overlooks another beautiful valley, unbelievable. And so I said, well, we got to check this out. So I always like to get out of the truck, walk around. And we weren't five minutes in, I kicked up a deer. It was really, for me, I always, that never gets old. So awesome. I said, this is where we're going to stay tonight in this little campground. So we got in Tacoma, kept heading north, probably another 15 minutes, and we arrived at the north unit. And guess what? Another surprise at the entrance, a huge fucking buffalo was right at the ranger building, just laying in the dirt. It was like his own private little spot. And I, I try and put a picture of that one too on the Instagram. It's pretty neat. And he wasn't even maybe 20 yards from the front of the truck. It, and he was like, just sitting there. They're huge. It, it never gets old. But anyway, so we took a few pictures, got on the, uh, got out the map, looked for a trail. And the north unit is a lot smaller than the south unit. So 
the, like all national parks, there is a road that will go through it. So in this park, the road is only 14 miles long. So you follow it all the way to one end and it circles and you come back. So you followed it to the end and parked and there is a trail at the end and it takes you to the highest point in the park. So we hiked it and at the top we had our, our uh, mountain house lunch and all that. And the view, once again, the view at the top was just amazing. You could see down below us was the Little Missouri River and it winds back and forth and Oxbow right there in front of us. And um, it's at the bottom of the valley and there's these, it's dotted with trees and these sage bushes. And if you try and imagine it, you're sitting way up high on a mountain looking down at this valley. And it's all you can see from left to right. Not just like in your view, but turn your head. Turn your head all the way to the left at your shoulder, take a look, and then turn your head right to your right shoulder and take a look. And that's how big the scenery is. It's it's really, really cool. I if you haven't been out west, it's hard to describe, but from one end, like one shoulder to the other, left to right, all you see is a valley and blue sky, and across from you is the other rim to the valley. It was really, really cool. So we sat there and ate lunch and kind of took it all in. Um, we're done. We grab our packs and uh, headed off. It was probably it was I think a mile away or something like that. So uh, we did our hike out, hike back, jumped in the truck, picked another trail, and wanted to try and find. Um, there's another prairie dog village in there. So we um, drive back into the park and uh, find our trailhead and park. Grab our backpacks, cameras, and stuff. Our phones and I always carry binoculars and all that. And we weren't five minutes on the trail when we walk around this corner and boom, there was two buffalo right there. We startled them and they jumped up and stood up and they were right in the trail. We couldn't go. There's no way to walk around them or anything. And the one just kept looking at us and looking at us and it was not backing down. I'm telling <laughs> and said, okay, you win. And we turned around and we walked back to the truck. So we had to call it a day. <laughs> she was a little disappointed because she wanted to go see another prairie dog town. But it, anyway, so uh, when we left the park, we ran uh, a little bit north, another 15 minutes to the town. I said, I don't want a mountain house tonight. I want uh, to cook out over the fire. So we grabbed some brats, grabbed some marshmallows, uh, a couple other snacks, bagels and stuff, and went back to the uh, campsite that we had found earlier. It's called Summit Trail, and it was in the uh, Little Missouri uh, grasslands. And we get there, there's no one there. You can have any site you want. There's an outhouse, but no water. We had our own water. So we picked a little site kind of down a ravine, the shade trees, and we start unloading and setting up our tent. And I'll be damned if there wasn't a shit ton of ticks. Fuck. We battled these ticks all evening. And Anne had her, her pants tucked in her socks and had her collar all the way up and everything, but we kept picking ticks off of us all night long. Um, so anyway, we had a fire, have our brats. It was pretty good. And we went for a little short hike. And I said, I got to explore this valley, you know, where I kicked up this deer. Let's go right over there. And so we start walking over there and it was really cool. And you kind of had to hike down into the valley. And we didn't go all the way to the bottom. We stopped kind of short because the last part was pretty steep. And Anne was nervous about being out there because there is nobody. You could scream all you wanted. There was nobody, <laughs> nobody around. And so that kind of made her nervous. So I said, no problem. We'll just go back and uh, sat around the campfire, had a few beers, uh, watched some of the stars, and uh, went and climbed in our sleeping bags. And we weren't in there five minutes, not even five minutes. And I kept feeling shit crawling on me. And I'll be goddamn, I kept finding ticks. Here I, here <laughs> I was so pissed. Anne was just 
really, it, she was pretty upset about it. It's like that creepy feeling when you feel like you have bugs crawling on you. It just didn't stop. I ended up three times, I think, I kept finding ticks on me. So anyway, eventually I slept. I know Ann didn't sleep at all. I slept like a log. And the next morning we packed up and we decided to head out. My, my backup plan, because of the national park being, everything was closed for the most part. The visitor center, the gift shops, all the stores. I said, you know what, let's go back to Bismarck and there's a bunch of Lewis and Clark stuff there. And I'm a big fan of Lewis and Clark. So they had a museum and they have some sites where where uh, Lewis and Clark passed through. And after looking online, we found out those are all closed as well. I thought, shit. So anyway, we decided, you know what, let's just head east. And instead of going through Chicago, let's go through the UP and we'll stay the night in Duluth. And we had delivered, we drove through Duluth, Minnesota a couple years ago. Uh, on our way to the Boundary Waters canoe area. And the town was, looks really neat. It's right uh, on the water there, Lake Superior. So jumped in the car, drove back, and I say jumped in the car and drove back, but it, it was about 10 hours we arrived in Duluth late in the evening. So we crashed at the hotel, uh, got some Arby's carry out or something like that. Woke up the next morning and I wanted to stop at a few stores. Um, there's Frost River, Duluth Pack, uh, Duluth Trading Company originally started there too, but it turns out they were all closed because of covid right so that kind of sucked but we jumped on the freeway across the bridge over and you're in wisconsin and from that part all the way to michigan it's so beautiful all these rolling hills and areas you've never been to that northern part of wisconsin it's really cool and uh as you're driving always to your left is lake superior so anyway um just as we reached the michigan border we stopped and hiked to uh, interstate falls it's this waterfall right off the road and uh, right at the border of Michigan and Wisconsin. So it was a a 10, 15 minute hike. So we hiked in, checked out the waterfall, took some pictures, jumped back in the truck. And not five minutes from there is the Stormy Cromer factory. So we did, uh, we called them ahead of time. They they aren't doing factory tours right now, but they are doing um, their little retail store inside the, the building was open. So we always stop in there. If you're ever in Ironwood there, Stop by Stormy Cromer. It's really cool. And in their little retail showroom, you can buy their rejected stuff for way cheaper than the real stuff. But so that's usually what we do. Anyway, um, as a side note, I don't know if you guys remember, but what makes me think Ironwood every single time is Subway. I don't know if you remember, but way, way, way back when Subway first started, they had a commercial and they talked about the Subway diet. And of course, Jared was on there. That's where he made a start because he lost so much weight. And they had two other people. And one of them, I want to say his name was Bob. He goes, hey, Bob from Ironwood, Michigan. I've lost so much weight. My friends call me Bones. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but that's what every time I go to Ironwood, that's what I think of. So anyway, it was really funny. So we stopped in Ironwood, uh, got our Stormy Cromer stuff, kept driving, and our plan was to go to Marquette. So we stopped in Marquette for the night. What a cool town. Um, we were able to get a hotel room right on the water. And if you remember, the governor opened up the Upper Peninsula like a week ago, two weeks ago. And so we went there and there was more restaurants open, but not all of them. I would say maybe a quarter of the places are open. And you had to wear a mask to walk into any place. And when you set the table, you can take your mask off. So we went to a bar, had some dinner and we sat out on the patio so you could take your mask off and right out in front of the patio was the coolest thing a moped and this is a yamaha moped (laughs) so when i was younger uh and mopeds came out this is 1980s 
I said, that is a Yamaha hopper. That's what they called it. It was a 49cc Yamaha hopper moped. And there was one sitting right in front of me in mint condition. Eventually the owner came out and I started talking to him and he said, oh, it's a 1984. It has, you know, 5,000 miles on it. And, uh, he gets like a hundred miles to the gallon on it. And he goes, you know, watch it. This thing starts right up so easy. And one kick starts, not electric starts, a kick start. One kick, the thing started up and he went on down the road. So anyway, Look up uh, Yamaha Hopper or Yamaha Hoppy on YouTube. They call me Yamaha Hoppy. That was the name of the commercial that you would you would uh, see on TV. It was really funny. So it was kind of a uh, uh, highlight of my evening. <laughs> so anyway, uh, after dinner, we drove over to Presque Park for some stargazing. And that's a really popular park if you're in Marquette. And we were thinking the park was open late for the, the state parks program. It has something called Dark Skies where they turn off lights and you can go for stargazing. Well... It turned out that was a year ago or two years ago. They don't do it anymore. So called it a day, went back to the hotel. Next day, oh, you know, we decided to stay two nights in Marquette. I forgot to tell you guys that part. So the next day we got up, went for a hike, and uh, Ann picked the hikes called Sugarloaf Mountain. And it's a really popular place. We got one of the last parking spots at the trailhead. And it's just outside of town, probably 10 minutes. And the trail is short. It's only about a mile, but it's up hill like all the way you're climbing to the top of Sugarloaf Mountain at the top you get a sweet view you can see the Northern Michigan University campus you can see Lake Superior all the rolling trees and hills and things like that and then on the way down I must have taken a wrong turn because I got us lost and I didn't realize we were lost till we were probably about a mile lost like a mile away and I was a little nervous, and so I, we ended up finding our way back. But we got back, we were to the truck, we were sweaty and hungry, and we drove back to that Presque Park and had lunch, another mountain house, of course. And we explored the park a little bit more. I found a spot where I can remember jumping off into Lake Superior. It's like a cliff, like you were in the Caribbean, but you're not. It's ice-cold water. And so I said, told Ann, here's where it was. And the water is so blue and so clear there, but it was chilly that day. It was very chilly. The temperature ended up being in the uh, upper 50s, I think, or lower 60s, something like that, 50s, I think. So next we drove to uh, Dead River Falls to do another hike. And if you can't tell, we do a lot of hiking. So that's one of the things we do. So we get there, and that place was even busier. And that trail's about a mile or so. Same thing, though, all uphill. And you get there, and the falls are really cool. We liked it. And uh, so after that, went to the hotel, got cleaned up, went out to dinner, and uh, slept great that night. The next day, headed home, driving across the UP. That's always cool. I like that. And we stop in St. Ignace at one of my favorite places. It's called Clyde's Burgers. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Fresh ground beef, all that stuff is so, so good. So Clyde's Burgers, we got ours, and we parked out at the rest stop that overlooks the Mackinac Bridge. So before we got back on the freeway, we were eating our lunch, and traffic was horrendous. So we finished our lunch, get in line, and now at the bridge, they aren't taking cash. You have to use your credit card, and they have a portable machine. The lady holds it out. You put your card in. She presses a button, says, okay, take your card. So traffic was backed up. We were probably in line over a half hour. I'm sure it was. So once we get across the bridge, of course, stopped at another one of my favorite places. It's called Kruger's Fish Shack. And as soon as you come over the bridge, heading south, it's on the right-hand side, like first or second exit, and they do a lot of smoked fish and uh, smoked salmon, smoked whitefish. I always get their whitefish sausage. He makes whitefish into sausages so good. He does whitefish dip, too. So anyway, I bought some whitefish, whitefish sausage, 
smoke lake trout, smoke salmon, smoke lake fish. Needless to say, a hundred hours later, you know, I got my whole supply of uh, smoked fish. So that was our adventure for the week. Um, I thought it was, I'm, I know I didn't do it justice. I hope my pictures do on Instagram. I think you guys are going to really like it, you know. Um, and that was a little long-winded, but stay right there. We're going to do a bourbon spotlight. Uh, I got a new bottle of bourbon to talk about. All right, I'm back. This is the bourbon spotlight for episode number 13. I know uh, that story was long-winded, but I had to tell it, and I hope you guys liked it. So anyway, let's get on some bourbon tasting. Um, I was on Instagram just the other day and saw a post from my favorite liquor retailer, the Wine Palace in Livonia. They had a, uh, a few bottles of Knob Creek 12-year-old bourbon. So I drove up, bought the last one. Um, so we're going to give it a taste. And, you know, like with all my bourbons I've spotlighted, I had to um, do some research, and I go to their website, knobcreek.com. And I browsed it a little bit. And I'll be honest with you, this might have been the weakest <laughs> website that I've been on. You know, everyone else seems to have really good ones. These guys were, I thought they were lacking a little bit because they didn't give a description of the flavor notes and things like that. Um, but one thing I did find out is they're known for longer aged bourbons and they're known for being at least 100 proof. And so, you know, I go on their website, knobcreek.com, and they uh, say when the very first bottle of Knob Creek was released, its mission was to restore whiskey to the way it was meant to be, patiently aged and full flavored. This commitment not only helped Knob Creek overturn all the softer, milder whiskeys on the market, it was a major step toward making the small batch whiskey movement what it is today. We don't age our bourbon nine years and longer because we're required to. We do it because the extra time and effort are all well worth it. Under the care of seventh-generation distillers, minutes become days. The days become years, and years become bourbon. Refined enough to sip, yet strong enough to carry a cocktail. We call it Knob Creek. And in case you didn't know, Knob Creek is actually made by Jim Beam. So when you go on uh, uh, the distillery tours, you won't find a Knob Creek distillery tour. It's actually in the Jim Beam distillery. And one thing I did not know that I learned on their website was... uh, they have seven different expressions. They have a Knob Creek nine-year-old bourbon at 100 proof. They have a Knob Creek rye at 100 proof. Knob Creek 12-year-old bourbon at 100 proof. Knob Creek single barrel select bourbon at 120 proof. A Knob Creek single barrel reserve nine-year-old bourbon at 120. And a Knob Creek single barrel select rye at 115. And the last one is a Knob Creek Kentucky straight smoked maple at 90. And that's one I've had before. My buddy Jay bought me a bottle of that as a gift last year and that was really good so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna open this bottle it's a wax top so bear with me we're gonna give it a sip now it's, it says 12 year old bourbon and i'm not one for uh uh, buying something just because it says aged but i have been looking for a knob creek that was different than the maple i tried recently so that's really why i bought this one Let's see what we can do. There it goes. We'll give it a taste. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm going to give it a smell. It's uh, definitely softer and milder than some of the others I'm used to. Now, if you remember uh, a couple episodes ago, I sampled uh, the Bullet Barrel Strength. And that was much, much stronger at a 120-something proof, I think. So this is 100 proof. 
but it's it's very mild, very soft. Yeah, like like they say, it's very. Uh, hmm, I get like a smoky, almost like a smoky taste. A little bit of. Uh, hmm, let me take one more. Very good finish, as usual. No burn, nothing like that. Feels really good going down. Hmm. I'm gonna have to sip on the rest of the glass to check it out. So. I think we'll wrap it. We'll end it on this note here for episode number 13. Uh, we'll try and get another episode later in this week. And just to give you a heads up, you're going to start seeing more about Anthony Bourdain. We're going to come to the uh, his birthday. He uh, recently, on June 8th, was the anniversary of uh, uh, his passing away. It was sad. It was a suicide. But uh, we're going to celebrate the 25th of June as Anthony Bourdain Day, and you're probably going to hear more of it on Instagram and on the news and things like that. So stay tuned. I'm probably going to have a couple of things coming down the pipe as well. I did uh, my next book review will probably be an Anthony Bourdain book, as a matter of fact. So uh, episode 13 for Rackhouse Ramblings, we're going to call it a wrap, and we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye.